0: It's so good to see each one of you. When I came this morning, it was dark and balmy. I think when you came this morning, it's a little rainy and gross and getting grosser. But we're so glad, so very glad that you had an opportunity to fight through the raindrops and end up here this morning. You know, we meet as a community every Sunday to worship and to pray and to sing and to praise and to open up God's precious Word. We're teaching families how to obey God and know God and enjoy God so that we can be salt and light. You know, we've been spending some time, if you're newer to our fellowship, in the Gospel of John. Actually, just spending time with Jesus. This feisty apostle shared his perspective near the end of his life. Might have been even the last thing he ever wrote. But he had an agenda. He was absolutely in love with Jesus. He was transformed by spending time with Jesus. And we find out at the end of this book that he wrote this so that everyone may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. It's found all the way through the 21 chapters, and we're going to actually see it again today. But each week we meet, we open up the Word, and we watch Jesus. We learn from Jesus. Last week, we saw a rather religious person. He had his act totally together. His name was Nicodemus. And he met Jesus at night. And he met Jesus at night probably for a few different reasons. But the biggest reason probably was he just wasn't sure about Jesus. He needed to find out about Jesus, and Jesus gave him this advice. Saying, you know what, your Not looking for life in the right place. For God sent His Son to die on the cross. To pay all of our debt so that each one of us might have a relationship with the Almighty God. He says, you're going to find life in me. You're going to find life in the resurrected Jesus. Well, today we hang out with Christ again. And perhaps one of the most irreligious people on the planet. A gal so far from God. But we're going to find out a person that Jesus deeply cared about. In fact, if I could just paint a quick picture. We all know about the prejudices in our society. We all know there's racial tension at times. All over our world, we do. That's part of our lives. Well, what we're going to find out today is that Jesus loves to break through all the cultural norms because he is so amazingly in love with us. We'll never, ever, ever, ever understand it. And so he breaks some heavy, well, prejudice, racial prejudice. And then he breaks, well, some social prejudice, as we're going to find out. And this lady responds in an unbelievable way. I think you're going to leave here just excited. Um, Any great teacher knows there are three parts to learning there's theory practice, and inspiration. Now the method and the order can differ, but if these three parts are not part of the lesson, I know we have some teachers in here, so maybe we'll have some deep debate sometime. But I do believe that if these three aren't present, learning doesn't happen. It just doesn't. And Jesus was masterful here in being able to help people understand Let's look at the master teacher today and how he teaches. I've asked Kent Morgan to read. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 4. You can open up your flat screens too, but it will be up on the screen. And I just want to say ahead of time, I am so grateful for Kent. Not like I'm not grateful for all the readers. But I think Kent's going to read like the whole New Testament today to us today. So uh, please be patient. But I... I do think it's pretty critical for us to understand the background here before we uh, dig in. So Kent, if you would read for us John chapter 4.
1: Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Well, Jesus himself didn't baptize them. His disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, "'You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink?' Jesus replied, "'If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or bucket,' she said, "'and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water?' And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, Give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim this here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship, whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The woman left her water beside the well, her water jar beside the well, and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be a Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because a woman had said he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world.
0: Thank you, Kent. Let's pray. Father, this is an amazing story. It's a story that happened early in your ministry. And it's a story that uh, teaches us so much about you and about life and about what's important. Father, I pray today that you would open our eyes, that we would see clearly who you are and what our assignment is from you. I pray, Father, for all those other churches in the area. I pray, dear God, that you would bless them, encourage them. I know, Father, that your word is being proclaimed faithfully all over Lake County and in McHenry County. And we pray at this moment, God, that you would use your word and convict and encourage and strengthen others. We count it a privilege, Father, to team up with all these churches in order to do your kingdom work. We pray all these things in Your Son's name, Amen. There are four people or groups of people in our narrative this morning. There's the town of Sychar. There's Jesus. There's Samaritan woman, and there are the disciples. We're going to focus first of all on the Samaritan woman. And that just seems really long to me to be addressing the Samaritan woman all morning. So we're going to call her Sam. All right, just short for Samantha, the Samaritan woman. You know what, we know a few things about Sam. Just by reading this text. First of all, she came to the well at noon alone. Really different Now, women back then usually carried their one bath jar, it was called. It usually contained about five gallons of water. And for some of you who are really good at math and understand how heavy that is, it comes to about 42 pounds. So the women of that day would normally carry this jug either in the morning before the sun came up or when it was low in the sky, or at night when the sun was also low in the sky. You'd never carry 42 pounds at noon. So she sticks out. Women also at that time never went alone. They always enjoyed the fellowship. They always enjoyed meeting around the well, catching up with one another. Sam goes by herself. She was lonely, and she was avoiding the crowds. She was absolutely surprised that a Jew spoke with her. Now, as I've read this story, I've I've never understood exactly if Jesus had a certain Jew apparel, or what made him a Jew, or how he looked like a Jew compared to a Samaritan. But she knew very quickly, maybe by his accent, maybe by how he sat, but that he was a Jew. And she was absolutely surprised that this Jew spoke with her. Now I want to go into a long history here, but as I mentioned in the very beginning, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. No doubt about it. And let me just give you a little bit of an idea of why that happened. In about 722 B.C., when the Assyrians came and destroyed the northern ten tribes of Israel, he basically annihilated them. And the, the practice, at least by the Assyrian kings at that time, was when they wiped out a nation, they would replenish that nation with all of their captives. So realistically what happened is that once these Israelites fell, because they had not listened to God, the Assyrians took over and brought in all kinds of different people groups and they began to intermarry and they begin to um, have families one with another. So the Jews were not a pure breed anymore if you want to call it that. There's lots of different folks that were around. And as a result, as a result, some things begin to happen. First of all, the Samaritans didn't like how they were treated by the Jews. They organized an own, their own temple and their own worship practices. They still sort of worshiped God, but it was a little bit polluted at this moment. So for about 500 years, this hate grew and grew and grew. The hate grew so much that they wouldn't even travel through this area of Samaria. But as you look at it, we just know this, is that no matter what racial problems you see, if this were happening today, it would be right at the top of your list. It was ugly, it was not even explainable. Jews and Samaritans wouldn't even talk to each other. In fact, it went as far as this is that if a Jew would drink from a cup or use a utensil that a Samaritan used, they would have to go to the temple and be cleansed. Pretty odd. The other thing that happened right here that she was a little bit taken back by was men really don't speak with women. It still happens over there in that that area of our world. But men didn't speak to women, especially if they were alone, if it was not their wife. So here was a Jew that don't speak to Samaritans, and Jesus was talking, and it was a woman That men usually don't talk to, and Jesus was talking. We know this too, is that she had an edge. She was both, or she had both a sharp mind and a tongue. And I'm pretty sure she was not a fan of the male gender at this moment. And we'll find out this as we continue to move through there she heard Jesus give her some things like, hey, I've got some better water. Some water that you don't even know about. Well, she's thinking H2O and something to refresh you. But the truth is, she's going like, who's this arrogant dude? I I mean, this well's been really good for my forefathers. This has been really good for all the things that are going on. You've got some better water? Sure. Jesus even said this, he told her that he was a gift. Now, this woman listening to this, not understanding it at all that this was the Messiah, thinking, oh yeah, you know how many times I've heard that? You know how many times I have met guys? And they said, oh, it's your lucky day today. You get me, you know? And she's going, you know what? I've had enough of those guys, to be quite honest. uh, Jesus, you're starting off on the wrong foot. You're condemning something that I go to all the time. and, And you know what? You're probably not as much of a prize as you think. Sam had an answer for just about everything Jesus said and deflected everything Jesus said with a question. She wasn't backing down. Sam knew a little bit about religion. A little bit about the Messiah. A little bit of what was going on in life. But when Jesus offered her living water, she kind of interpreted it as indoor plumbing. You know? Like, really? I get living... You came to give us... Indoor plumbing. I do not have to walk to the well anymore with 42 pounds of water. This is awesome. I want that water. Wow. We also know that she's been hurt. She bears the scars of five marriages while the one she was living with wasn't willing to even commit to her. Now, in our culture, living together isn't as much of a taboo or isn't as much uh, unusual. We know what the scriptures say about that, and it's very clear that, well, you need to be married in order to live together. But what happened here is that you've got to remember that back in this culture, um, women didn't have a whole lot of rights. And it was really important that they were cared for and taken care of. And if they weren't married, all right, they were basically a burden to our culture or to their society. And so if you look at this, we recognize that, wow, she's living on the edge. Now, some of you, if you've heard this story before, and say, okay, Rick, let's just talk about all. I'm, I'm going to ask you to step back just a little bit. And I share this with people who I had the privilege of counseling them before they get married. I start off something like this. I said, do you know that there isn't one person that's ever sat in my office that said, you know what, I'm just going to get married for about a year and after that I'm pretty sure it's not going to work out. So why don't you just give me a few bits of advice. We'll get through the first year and we'll be done. Not one time, folks, has that ever happened. Everybody that walks into the office says, Ah, marriage. Ah. And there's little harps that play. Did you know that? Little harps. And, 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 and sometimes they just kind of look at each other and drool. No, no. But, but it's just like, I love this person so, so very much. The sad thing is, if I'm a realist, if they don't love Jesus with all their hearts, if they don't hang on to God, there is no hope, well, very little hope for their marriage. The odds are that they will be divorced. So here's a woman, honestly, that, well, she was like every other woman at her wedding day. She was hoping that this would be the knight in shining armor and she would love him till death do they part and And the first marriage didn't work out, and she was crushed, and she had some scars, and I don't know what the circumstances are, I I don't, so she rebounds and, and gets a second relationship, and she has just as much hope as the first one, and folks, you see the picture, Second time, she's crushed. The third time, it's not working out. The fourth time, it's not working out. Now, now some of you are a little bit more skeptical, of going, hey, uh, you know, the lady's a loser, man. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if she was a loser. I know that she hoped, just like everybody else at that time, that this marriage would be unbelievably fulfilling. It wasn't. It wasn't. You see, divorce is always horrific. It is never God's plan, but it happens. It does. And when it does, especially as a youth pastor, and you see what happens to kids, and you see how families that once loved each other, it doesn't get pretty. You've always heard this, or sometimes, you know, it's a good divorce. It's a bad divorce. Folks, there's no such thing as a good divorce. I'm, I'm just letting you know. Every family is ripped apart. Now the good thing is is that Jesus came to a lady that went through five husbands living with someone else, and Jesus cared about this lady. He saw the scars. It did not detour him. Now maybe she didn't understand that he knew her story. But it soon becomes clear. He does know her story. And that must have shocked her. Number one, a Jew is talking to me. And someone then knows I've gone through five marriages. And this guy is paying attention i got to believe in some ways she probably was thinking, all right, is he going to take advantage of me? What's going on? What's his angle? How come he's so kind to me? Well, that wasn't what Jesus was thinking. Eventually she came to a place, and I will just say this, when I think the lights come on. Now, one of the tendencies we have, and I just have to share with you, no matter what gospel we read, the synoptics, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or John, sometimes we automatically, and I shared this with you as we talked about following Jesus. You know, all of a sudden these guys are walking down the road. Boom, Jesus comes in and says, hey, I will make you fishers of men. Boom, all right, I'm all in, Jesus. Very seldom anything like that would probably ever happen. I'm not saying that it's not capable. But we probably have a lot of dialogue and a lot of conversation that literally happened that we just don't have a recording of, that's all. So you can fill in some of the spaces. But as I look at this, I know that things changed very much after Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. I think the lights actually came on at that moment. I think all the things that Jesus was talking about, including the living water, all of a sudden made sense. And, you know, you look at this and you go, well, maybe this lady was dense. No, no, you see, sin has a tendency to blind us. Living apart from God has a tendency for us to, to take the culture, hook, line, and sinker. And sometimes it takes a little bit of extraordinary love to break through some of those scars that each one of us have, if you think of it that way. But what happened here? If you remember even back in Luke chapter 24, remember there were some guys after the resurrection that were walking down the road with Jesus on the way to Emmaus. And they're trying to convince Jesus and tell, um, or these men are trying to tell Jesus all about Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins explaining Scripture to them. And their eyes open. They go, oh, oh. I get it now. Somehow I didn't get it, but but now I get it. And I, and I think this is where the Samaritan woman's at. Where Sam's at. She's hearing this conversation, he's spending all this time with her. And finally he says, I am the Messiah. The Messiah is is the Savior, is the Rescuer. It's a person that came, sent by God, so that you might have a life that's restored. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that you're coming to, that need to come to, because you're never going to get living water without me, Jesus says. Whoa. At this moment, the scriptures just say, she leaves her pot and runs back to town. Now, no one in their right mind would leave their tool of the trade. She needs this every single day. She is so beside herself. She is so excited. She can hardly think straight. Something has happened. She has recognized that this is the Messiah. This is the one who gives living water. And she runs back to town. Now, I just got to say this. Is that just like there's other parts in Scripture that we probably don't have the full record, and nowhere does it say in the Scriptures that she came to faith. But her life was so radically different when she went back to Sychar that something had to change. Something was so very, very different. And I think she came to faith here. I also think once she came to faith and once God, or she recognized that this was the Messiah, I think Jesus gave her some more words of advice. Hey, you know what? When you go back to your hometown, they're not going to believe you. Why don't you share this? Or why don't you share the story? Or why don't you let them know how you're thinking differently now? And so I think Jesus actually prepped Sam. And then we know this, is that she goes back to the town, she runs back to the town, and she says this to all the people she comes in contact with. Come and see. Now honestly, if you haven't been part of our whole John study, you may not get the significance here. But back in John chapter 1, that's basically... What Jesus did all the time and what his disciples said. Hey, come on out and hang out with me. Come on out and see who I am. Come on out because if you come and see, your life's going to be different. You're going to understand what this living water is. You're going to understand that I have abundant life to be able to give to you. An eternal life later. Wow. We get this little thing. Hey, come and see. Hey, this guy told me everything about my past. Even if she had just said that, everyone in that city knew her past. It wasn't like living in a you know, metropolitan area with nine million people that you could get lost. It's a little town. Everyone knew Sam. Everyone knew her problems, and everyone probably knew her five former husbands. She comes back absolutely lit up. I'm different. I met the man Jesus. He is the Messiah. And the whole town comes out. People come streaming. That's what we know about Sam right now. Now what about Jesus? Jesus, few things that we recognize about him right now. First of all, he really is a guy. He gets hungry and he gets thirsty. He was traveling He understood, again, you know what, I need some rest. The fun thing about Jesus is that as you see his story, he continually breaks all the cultural norms. He does. In your scripture, if you look at verse 4, and there's different translations there, but in the one I'm using here, the NLT, it says he had to go through Samaria. Now, I'm letting you know, he did not have to go through Samaria. There are some other places, but God had an assignment for him. Remember, he was... A hundred percent man, but he also was a hundred percent God. And he heard God and he listened to God. And up on the screen, you're going to try to see again, and maybe some of your Bibles have these maps in the back, and it's just a little bit hard to see. But the normal route for a Jew going from Jerusalem all the way back up to Galilee would be a whole lot longer. Jesus said, no, I'm going to go through an area that is hated by the Jews. God, you've got an assignment for me. In fact, what I'm going to find out is that there's a lady that's in a whole heap of trouble. And I'm going to get to go and love her and offer her living water. Jesus sees Sam completely different than everyone else. In fact, one of the key things, and if you mark your Bibles, which I encourage you to do, in in verse 21, he addresses her as dear. Woman, not hey you two-bit floozy. I know you need me. You better drink the water because your life is a mess. Yeah, okay. I guess that's the same point. (laughs) But he didn't. Hey, dear woman, dear woman. He is patient. He knows the hurt. He understands the scars and literally leads her to a place of hope. He doesn't shove it down her throat. In fact, her past doesn't even paint how Jesus treats her. This is huge. Jesus offers hope, living water, before he addresses the sin. And he does address the sin. He does. But that's not the first thing that he addresses. You see, Jesus knew that the Jews had been rejecting living water for quite some time. The prophet Jeremiah writes this in Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have done two evil things. Now remember, I don't want to go too crazy about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. And his assignment was this. I want you for 40 years to preach... Whatever I tell you to preach, and I want you to know something, Jeremiah, not one person's going to respond. Hey, I want to sign up for that. Don't you? How cool is that? Uh, What's your assignment? Well, it's to be faithful to God, to be able to teach His Word, and no one's going to respond. Oh, boy. That's what Jeremiah's assignment was. (laughs) The guy was amazing. And you can read through Jeremiah. You see some of the things that he went through. But anyway, this is what he says. For my people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. Does that make sense? God has always referred to himself to this desert climate. I am the fountain. I am the spring. I am the one that refreshes you. So why do you go to other, no, no, it just, whoa, my water's overflowing. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that hold no water at all. So you've left the living water, and then you go, and you dig cisterns that you think are going to satisfy you. And you fill it full of your water, and you find out all it does is leak What a picture. Jeremiah 17, 13, he says it again. Oh Lord, the hope of Israel, all who turn away from you will be disgraced. They will be buried in the dust of the earth for they have abandoned. That is such a strong word. The Lord, the fountain of living water. You know, you guys know how thirsty you get on a hot day, right? You you just do. Can you imagine living in a desert culture? Recognizing again how wonderful a fresh glass of water would be. And that's what Jesus continually offered. Not only Sam, but to all the Jews. He offered life-giving water. And most of the time the Jews are saying, No, thank you. No, thank you. Very polite. No, thank you. I want to live my own way. I want to get my own water. they get up the next day and their cistern is dry. But they'll try again because they're smarter than God and we're smarter than God. And we know what will really satisfy us. So we fill our cisterns over and over and over again. We wake up the next day and there's no water. Whoa. Jesus is offering living water to Sam. A relationship with Jesus that satisfies your soul. That gives you a purpose and a hope. It lasts forever. Sam then says, I want that water. I want that water. And actually, every one of us are made wanting that water. Jesus then tenderly addresses the sin in our life. He doesn't use a hammer here. He simply just says, you can't enjoy the living water because you're separated from God. You can want it all you want. And Sam at this time, and I say this, deflects and begins to talk about worship or talks about her religion. And Jesus is so kind. And actually addresses quite a few verses, starting at verse 21, down through verse 23. And he's saying this, he's saying, you're missing the point, Samantha. The Father is pursuing you. And once you have a relationship with God, it's not about where you worship. You will worship him. You genuinely worship the Father because you have the Spirit living in you. At this point, if you or I were Jesus, we'd be a little probably upset, saying, you know what, this lady's never going to get it. I'm out of here. Apparently, you know, she's, she's dense. But not Jesus. After answering all these questions, Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting for. How exciting. This lady for years and years and years has been trying to fill her cisterns with water. And all they do is leak out. Finally, I found someone that gives me a cool drink of water. Oh yeah, sign me up. And then there's the townspeople. This is pretty amazing here. Because again, we're talking about a small little town. Sam ran to the town and told her story to everyone. And in my opinion, I'm sensing Sam is just over the top. She is so excited. She is so filled with joy. She has never heard a message like this. And she feels totally different. And apparently she was because when she went into that town, Sam was notably different. The transformation was amazing. Maybe it was just a smile. Maybe her eyes began to dance. Maybe instead of all the sin and the pain and the scars that just was a burden for her, she was just upbeat and grateful. And people saw it. Now, if you really look at this, I would say Sam is probably one of the most unlikely candidates for change. You know, we all have those in our lives. If you're in high school, it's real clear. But as you get older, there are certain people who say, oh, You know what, there's no hope. No hope. No hope for that person. No, he's way too far gone. He is such a jerk. She is, and we use the adjectives. But people believed in Jesus because of this most unlikely candidate came to Jesus and told her story of change. Her message was simple. Come and see. Could this possibly be the Messiah? He's told me everything I did, and in spite of my past, he cares, he loves, and he offered me living water, and I took it. And the village people, It's funny, the village people, the village people came to the well to see Jesus. They must have been dressed funny. Oh, come on, that was a good one. All right, village people. Anyway, they begged Jesus to stay. Do any of you know what the village people are? Like, this was such a good one. There we go, okay. Um, But the, (laughs) you can't even say it anymore. All right. Her message is, come and see. The guy just flat out loves me. So all these people came to the well to see Jesus. And not only that, they begged Jesus, this Jew, to stay in their village. Never would have happened, folks. Never. And Jesus stayed two days. That must have been really uncomfortable for those Jews who were following him called disciples, saying, like, okay, Jesus, I'm getting this, but I'm not understanding this. Like, we're going to stay where? Are you crazy? He was modeling. Many more heard the message and believed. Not only because of Sam's message, but this is key, and if you, again, underline your Bible or mark your Bible, and I know you're all going to just do this, even though you don't listen to me sometimes, It's all because of Jesus' words. You know, just a little before, the Pharisees always wanted all these signs. But these Samaritans, their lives were changed because of his words. And the last word that Kent wrote was, he is the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of the world. Of every gender, of every people group, of every person, Jesus is a Savior. What's so cool? Sam knew she needed a Savior. She did. You know what's so hard? Some of us don't. We actually think we're okay. We actually think that life without Jesus, we're going to make it, and, and it'll be okay. Well, what did we actually learn from Jesus in our text? And just a few things jump out. First of all, as I mentioned, Jesus beautifully took theory, practice, and inspiration. He shared truth. He trained and sent out. He talked about hope in this living water. And this lady responded Jesus was so kind he was so gentle and it didn't matter who was the object of his affection he is the savior of the world that's some good news what have we learned though what was modeled for us And I'll tell you, this is so cool, but I think the most unlikely candidates are the best candidates for Christ's messengers. That's you and me. We're the ones that God said, you know what? I've got an amazing message. And I am going to use fragile clay jars. And they're going to go out into their neighborhoods and into their schools. And people are going to look at the joy in their life. They're going to notice that they have drunk. From the living water. The jug of living water. And they're going to ask. How come. Circumstances are bogging you down. How come when you lose a job. How come when your son gets expelled. How come when. And you just go through this list. Well, you know what? My God's amazing. He is sovereign. He's my king. He's in control. He's going to take care of this situation. I hate that cancer word. I do. But God, I'm going to trust you. That's what I'm going to do. Because you've promised me living water. Water. That I have my life because of my relationship with you. You know, I think we as the most unlikely candidates for Christ messengers are because we're freaks of grace. I know, again, some of us put us up on higher pedestals than we probably should be. But every one of us were born sinful and separated from God. And one day our eyes were opened And we were able to drink from God's gracious gift of life. We can't make people drink, but we can certainly point to Jesus. You see, Sam, the Apostle Paul, who actually called himself the greatest of all sinners, so he's way worse than you guys and me. But you and me, We keep the transformation happening and people will notice. Over and over and over again, I hear very hard situations you guys are living in. Sometimes you're in a household where a spouse doesn't know you, doesn't know the Lord. Sometimes you're in a class. Sometimes you're in a work environment. And it's hard. But we are all freaks of grace. We are spending time with our Lord, and He is chipping away the anger that well we normally should have. And He's chipping away and allowing us to love people well that look different than us, that act different than us, that have less money in the bank or more money in the bank than us. All of us, we all have our tendencies. And put people in boxes and don't want to get involved in their lives. But God's given us an assignment. Because there is no one like Jesus. Let me say it a different way there is no one like Jesus. No one. No one. That's why we adore him, that's why we worship him, that's why we bow down to Him. That's why we raise our hands up to Him. That's why we submit to Him. He pursues the stained and the scarred along with the shiny and the people that look so good on the outside because all of them without Jesus need living water. He meets them in their pain and offers them hope and living water. We have quite the assignment. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but, but let me share with you this. If some of you were really, really, really sharp, you notice I skipped some verses in, in John 4. And honestly, I wrestled this week, and I couldn't cover it all. And these are some good verses. So in two weeks, next week, my daughter and I are going to be up at Silver Birch, and we have the opportunity to be speaking at a, at a mother-daughter mother. <laughs> Funny. Uh, father-daughter retreat. Father-daughter. Okay. Um, and, and we're going to be up, up north uh, next weekend. But the following weekend, I'll be back in the pulpit, and we're going to open our text back to John chapter 4 here and learn some more about wow, how amazing Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for how you modeled to each one of us what's important in life. I am so grateful God that you offered me living water. Lord, as I look back, there are so many Tantrums of selfishness in my life I was so self-focused and so enamored with me that I didn't see you very clearly and understand all that you offered. But God, I thank you for your patience and your kindness and your relentless love for me. And I thank you, dear God, that you didn't quit because my life's different. And Lord, I know that there are a plethora of people that have that same story, that have come to you so thirsty, and you've given them living water. Will we learn from you how to respond to people? And would we be really, really good at pointing people to you? We love you in your name. Amen.